Chapter sixteen of the Law and the Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. The Law and the Lady by Wilkie Collins. Chapter sixteen. First question. Did the woman die poisoned? The proceedings began at ten o'clock. The prisoner was placed at the bar before the High Court of Justiciary at Edinburgh. He bowed respectfully to the bench and pleaded not guilty in a low voice. It was observed by every one present that the prisoner's face betrayed traces of acute mental suffering. He was deadly pale. His eyes never once wandered to the crowd in the court. When certain witnesses appeared against him, he looked at them with a momentary attention. At other times he kept his eyes on the ground. When the evidence touched on his wife's illness and death, he was deeply affected, and covered his face with his hands. It was a subject of general remark and general surprise that the prisoner, in this case, although a man, showed far less self-possession than the last prisoner tried in that court for murder, a woman who had been convicted on overwhelming evidence. There were persons present, a small minority only, who considered this want of composure on the part of the prisoner to be a sign in his favour self-possession in his dreadful position signified to their minds the stark insensibility of a heartless and shameless criminal and afforded in itself a presumption not of innocence but of guilt the first witness called was john davy at esquire sheriff substitute of midlothian he was examined by the lord advocate as counsel for the prosecution and said the prisoner was brought before me on the present charge he made and subscribed a declaration on the twenty ninth of october it was freely and voluntarily made, the prisoner having been first duly warned and admonished. Having identified the declaration, the sheriff substitute, being cross-examined by the dean of faculty as counsel for the defence, continued his evidence in these words. The charge against the prisoner was murder. This was communicated to him before he made the declaration. The questions addressed to the prisoner were put partly by me, partly by another officer, the procurator fiscal. The answers were given distinctly, and so far as I could judge, without reserve. The statements put forward in the declaration were all made in answer to questions asked by the procurator fiscal or by myself. A clerk in the sheriff clerk's office then officially produced the declaration and corroborated the evidence of the witness who had preceded him. The appearance of the next witness created a marked sensation in the court. This was no less a person than the nurse who had attended Mrs. MacAllan in her last illness, by name Christina Ormsay. After the first formal answers, the nurse, examined by the Lord Advocate, proceeded to say, I was first sent for to attend the deceased lady on the 7th of October. She was then suffering from a severe cold, accompanied by a rheumatic affection of the left knee joint. Previous to this, I understood that her health had been fairly good. She was not a very difficult person to nurse when you got used to her and understood how to manage her. The main difficulty was caused by her temper. She was not a sullen person. She was headstrong and violent, easily excited to fly into a passion, and quite reckless in her fits of anger as to what she said or did. At such times, I really hardly think she knew what she was about. My own idea is that her temper was made still more irritable by unhappiness in her married life. She was far from being a reserved person. Indeed, she was disposed, as I thought, to be a little too communicative about herself and her troubles with persons like me who were beneath her in station. She did not scruple, for instance, to tell me, when we had been long enough together to get used to each other, that she was very unhappy, and fretted a good deal about her husband. 
one night when she was wakeful and restless she said to me the dean of faculty here interposed speaking on the prisoner's behalf he appealed to the judges to say whether such loose and unreliable evidence as this was evidence which could be received by the court the lord advocate speaking on behalf of the crown claimed it as his right to produce the evidence it was of the utmost importance in this case to show on the testimony of an unprejudiced witness on what terms the husband and wife were living the witness was a most respectable woman she had won and deserved the confidence of the unhappy lady whom she attended on her deathbed after briefly consulting together the judges unanimously decided that the evidence could not be admitted what the witness had herself seen and observed of the relations between the husband and wife was the only evidence that they could receive the lord advocate thereupon continued his examination of the witness christina ormsay resumed her evidence as follows my position as nurse led necessarily to my seeing more of mrs macallan than any other person in the house i am able to speak from experience of many things not known to others who were only in her room at intervals for instance i had more than one opportunity of personally observing that mr and mrs macallan did not live together very happily i can give you an example of this not drawn from what others told me but from what i noticed for myself toward the latter part of my attendance on mrs macallan a young widowed lady named mrs bowley a cousin of mr macallan's came to stay at gleninch mrs macallan was jealous of this lady and she showed it in my presence only the day before her death when mr macallan came into her room to inquire how she had passed the night oh she said never mind how i have slept what do you care whether i sleep well or ill how has mrs bowley passed the night is she more beautiful than ever this morning go back to her pray go back to her don't waste your time with me beginning in that manner she worked herself into one of her furious rages i was brushing her hair at the time and feeling that my presence was an impropriety under the circumstances i attempted to leave the room she forbade me to go mr macallan felt as i did that my duty was to withdraw and he said so in plain words mrs macallan insisted on my staying in language so insolent to her husband that he said if you cannot control yourself either the nurse leaves the room or i do she refused to yield even then a good excuse she said for getting back to mrs bowley go he took her at her word and walked out of the room he had barely closed the door before she began reviling him to me in the most shocking manner she declared among other things she said of him that the news of all others which he would be most glad to hear would be the news of her death i ventured quite respectfully on remonstrating with her she took up the hair-brush and threw it at me and then and there dismissed me from my attendance on her i left her and waited below until her fit of passion had worn itself out then i returned to my place at the bedside and for a while things went on again as usual it may not be amiss to add a word which may help to explain mrs macallan's jealousy of her husband's cousin mrs macallan was a very plain woman she had a cast in one of her eyes and if i may use the expression one of the most muddy blotchy complexions it was ever my misfortune to see in a person's face mrs bowley on the other hand was a most attractive lady her eyes were universally admired and she had a most beautifully clear and delicate colour poor mrs macallan said of her most untruly that she painted no the defects in the complexion of the deceased lady were not in any way attributable to her illness i should call them born and bred defects in herself 
her illness if i am asked to describe it i should say was troublesome nothing more until the last day there were no symptoms in the least degree serious about the malady that had taken her her rheumatic knee was painful of course acutely painful if you like when she moved it and the confinement to bed was irksome enough no doubt but otherwise there was nothing in the lady's condition before the fatal attack came to alarm her or anybody about her she had her books and her writing materials on an invalid table which worked on a pivot and could be arranged in any position most agreeable to her at times she read and wrote a good deal at other times she lay quiet thinking her own thoughts or talking with me and with one or two lady friends in the neighbourhood who came regularly to see her her writing so far as i knew was almost entirely of the poetical sort she was a grand hand at composing poetry on one occasion only she showed me some of her poems i am no judge of such things her poetry was of the dismal kind despairing about herself and wondering why she had ever been born and nonsense like that her husband came in more than once for some hard hits at his cruel heart and his ignorance of his wife's merit in short she vented her discontent with her pen as well as with her tongue there were times and pretty often too when an angel from heaven would have failed to have satisfied mrs macallan throughout the period of her illness the deceased lady occupied the same room a large bedroom situated like all the best bedrooms on the first floor of the house yes the plan of the room now shown to me is quite accurately taken according to my remembrance of it one door led into the great passage or corridor on which all the doors opened a second door at one side marked b on the plan led to mr macallan's sleeping-room a third door on the opposite side marked c on the plan communicated with a little study or book-room used as i was told by mr macallan's mother when she was staying at gleninch but seldom or never entered by any one else mr macallan's mother was not at gleninch while i was there the door between the bedroom and this study was locked and the key was taken out i don't know who had the key or whether there were more keys than one in existence the door was never opened to my knowledge i only got into the study to look at it along with the housekeeper by entering through a second door that opened on to the corridor i beg to say that i can speak from my own knowledge positively about mrs macallan's illness and about the sudden change which ended in her death by the doctor's advice i made notes at the time of dates and hours and such like i looked at my notes before coming here from the seventh of october when i was first called in to nurse her to the twentieth of the same month she slowly but steadily improved in health her knee was still painful no doubt but the inflammatory look of it was disappearing as to the other symptoms except weakness from lying in bed and irritability of temper there was really nothing the matter with her she slept badly i ought perhaps to add but we remedied this by means of composing draughts prescribed for that purpose by the doctor on the morning of the twenty-first at a few minutes past six i got my first alarm that something was going wrong with mrs macallan i was awoke at the time i have mentioned by the ringing of the hand-bell which she kept on her bed-table let me say for myself that i had only fallen asleep on the sofa in the bedroom at past two in the morning from sheer fatigue mrs macallan was then awake she was in one of her bad humours with me i had tried to prevail on her to let me remove her dressing-case from her bed-table after she had used it in making her toilet for the night it took up a great deal of room and she could not possibly want it again before the morning but no she insisted on my letting it be there was a glass inside the case and plain as she was she never wearied of looking at herself in that glass 
i saw that she was in a bad state of temper so i gave her her way and let the dressing-case be finding that she was too sullen to speak to me after that and too obstinate to take her composing draught from me when i offered it i laid me down on the sofa at her bed-foot and fell asleep as i have said the moment her bell rang i was up and at the bedside ready to make myself useful i asked what was the matter with her she complained of faintness and depression and said she felt sick i inquired if she had taken anything in the way of physic or food while i had been asleep she answered that her husband had come in about an hour since and finding her still sleepless had himself administered the composing draught mr macallan sleeping in the next room joined us while she was speaking he too had been aroused by the bell he heard what mrs macallan said to me about the composing draught and made no remark upon it it seemed to me that he was alarmed at his wife's faintness i suggested that she should take a little wine or brandy and water she answered that she could swallow nothing so strong as wine or brandy having a burning pain in her stomach already i put my hand on her stomach quite lightly she screamed when i touched her this symptom alarmed us we went to the village for the medical man who had attended mrs macallan during her illness one mr gale the doctor seemed no better able to account for the change for the worse in his patient than we were hearing her complain of thirst he gave her some milk not long after taking it she was sick the sickness appeared to relieve her she soon grew drowsy and slumbered mr gale left us with strict injunctions to send for him instantly if she was taken ill again nothing of the sort happened no change took place for the next three hours or more she roused up toward half-past nine and inquired about her husband i informed her that he had returned to his own room and asked if i should send for him she said no i asked next if she would like anything to eat or drink she said no again in rather a vacant stupefied way and then told me to go downstairs and get my breakfast on my way down i met the housekeeper she invited me to breakfast with her in her room instead of in the servants hall as usual i remained with the housekeeper but a short time certainly not more than half an hour coming upstairs again i met the under-housemaid sweeping on one of the landings the girl informed me that mrs macallan had taken a cup of tea during my absence in the housekeeper's room mr macallan's valet had ordered the tea for his mistress by his master's direction the under-housemaid made it and took it upstairs herself to mrs macallan's room her master she said opened the door when she knocked and took the teacup from her with his own hand he opened the door widely enough for her to see into the bedroom and to notice that nobody was with mrs macallan but himself after a little talk with the under-housemaid i returned to the bedroom no one was there mrs macallan was lying perfectly quiet with her face turned away from me on the pillow approaching the bedside i kicked against something on the floor it was a broken teacup i said to mrs macallan how comes the teacup to be broken ma'am she answered without turning towards me in an odd muffled kind of voice i dropped it before you drank your tea ma'am i asked no she said in handing the cup back to mr macallan after i had done i had put my question wishing to know in case she had spilled the tea when she dropped the cup whether it would be necessary to get her any more i am quite sure i remember correctly my question and her answer i inquired next if she had been long alone she said shortly yes i have been trying to sleep i said do you feel pretty comfortable she answered yes again all this time she still kept her face sulkily turned from me toward the wall stooping over her to arrange the bedclothe i looked toward her table the writing materials which were always kept on it were disturbed and there was wet ink on one of the pens 
I said, Surely you haven't been writing, ma'am. Why not? she said. I couldn't sleep. Another poem? I asked. She laughed to herself, a bitter short laugh. Yes, she said. Another poem. That's good, I said. It looks as if you were getting quite like yourself again. We shan't want the doctor any more today. She made no answer to this except an impatient sign with her hand. I didn't understand the sign. Upon that she spoke again, and crossly enough too. I want to be alone. Leave me. I had no choice but to do as I was told. To the best of my observation, there was nothing the matter with her, and nothing for the nurse to do. I put the bell-rope within reach of her hand, and went downstairs again. Half an hour more, as well as I can guess it, passed. I kept within hearing of the bell, but it never rang. I was not quite at my ease, without exactly knowing why. That odd muffled voice in which she had spoken to me hung on my mind, as it were. I was not quite satisfied about leaving her alone for too long a time together, and then again I was unwilling to risk throwing her into one of her fits of passion by going back before she rang for me. It ended in my venturing into the room on the ground-floor called the morning-room to consult Mr. MacAllan. He was usually to be found there in the forenoon of the day. On this occasion, however, when I looked into the morning-room, it was empty. At the same moment I heard the master's voice on the terrace outside. I went out and found him speaking to one Mr. Dexter, an old friend of his, and, like Mrs. Bowley, a guest staying in the house. Mr. Dexter was sitting at the window of his room upstairs. He was a cripple and could only move himself about in a chair on wheels, and Mr. MacAllan was speaking to him from the terrace below. "'Dexter,' I heard Mr. MacAllan say, "'where is Mrs. Bowley? Have you seen anything of her?' Mr. Dexter answered in his quick, off-handed way of speaking, not i i know nothing about her then i advanced and begging pardon for intruding i mentioned to mr macallan the difficulty i was in about going back or not to his wife's room without waiting until she rang for me before he could advise me in the matter the footman made his appearance and informed me that mrs macallan's bell was then ringing and ringing violently it was then close on eleven o'clock as fast as i could mount the stairs i hastened back to the bedroom before I opened the door, I heard Mrs. MacAllan groaning. She was in dreadful pain, feeling a burning heat in the stomach and in the throat, together with the same sickness which had troubled her in the early morning. Though no doctor, I could see in her face that this second attack was of a far more serious nature than the first. After ringing the bell for a messenger to send to Mr. MacAllan, I ran to the door to see if any of the servants happened to be within call. The only person I saw in the corridor was Mrs. Bowley. She was on her way from her own room, she said, to inquire after Mrs. MacAllan's health. I said to her, Mrs. MacAllan is seriously ill again, ma'am. Would you please tell Mr. MacAllan and send for the doctor? She ran downstairs at once to do as I told her. I had not been long back at the bedside when Mr. MacAllan and Mrs. Bowley both came in together. Mrs. MacAllan cast a strange look on them, a look I cannot at all describe, and bade them leave her. Mrs. Bowley, looking very much frightened, withdrew immediately. Mr. MacAllan advanced a step or two nearer to the bed. His wife looked at him again in the same strange way, and cried out, half as if she was threatening him, half as if she was entreating him, "'Leave me with the nurse! Go!' He only waited to say to me in a whisper, "'The doctor is sent for,' and then he left the room. Before Mr. Gale arrived, Mrs. MacAllan was violently sick. What came from her was muddy and frothy, and faintly streaked with blood. When Mr. Gale saw it, he looked very serious. I heard him say to himself, What does this mean? 
he did his best to relieve mrs macallan but with no good result that i could see after a time she seemed to suffer less then more sickness came on then there was another intermission whether she was suffering or not i observed that her hands and feet whenever i touched them remained equally cold also the doctor's report of her pulse was always the same very small and feeble i said to mr gale what is to be done sir and mr gale said to me i won't take the responsibility on myself any longer i must have a physician from edinburgh the fastest horse in the stables at gleninch was put into a dog-cart and the coachman drove away full speed to edinburgh to fetch the famous dr jerome while we were waiting for the physician mr macallan came into his wife's room with mr gale exhausted as she was she instantly lifted her hand and signed to him to leave her he tried by soothing words to persuade her to let him stay no she still insisted on sending him out of her room he seemed to feel it at such a time and in the presence of the doctor before she was aware of him he suddenly stepped up to the bedside and kissed her on the forehead she shrank from him with a scream mr gale interfered and let him out of the room in the afternoon dr jerome arrived the great physician came just in time to see her seized with another attack of sickness he watched her attentively without speaking a word in the interval when the sickness stopped he still studied her as it were in perfect silence i thought he would never have done examining her when he was at last satisfied he told me to leave him alone with mr gale we will ring he said when we want you here again it was a long time before they rang for me the coachman was sent for before i was summoned back to the bedroom he was dispatched to edinburgh for the second time with a written message from dr jerome to his head servant saying that there was no chance of his returning to the city and to his patients for some hours to come some of us thought this looked badly for mrs macallan others said it might mean that the doctor had hopes of saving her but expected to be a long time in doing it at last i was sent for on my presenting myself in the bedroom dr jerome went out to speak to mr macallan leaving mr gale along with me from that time as long as the poor lady lived i was never left alone with her one of the two doctors was always in her room refreshments were prepared for them but still they took it in turns to eat their meal one relieving the other at the bedside if they had administered remedies to their patient i should not have been surprised by this proceeding but they were at the end of their remedies their only business then seemed to be to keep watch i was puzzled to account for this keeping watch was the nurse's business i thought the conduct of the doctors very strange by the time that the lamp was lighted in the sick-room i could see that the end was near excepting an occasional feeling of cramp in her legs she seemed to suffer less but her eyes looked sunk in her head her skin was cold and clammy her lips had turned to a bluish paleness nothing roused her now excepting the last attempt made by her husband to see her he came in with dr jerome looking like a man terror-struck she was past speaking but the moment she saw him she feebly made signs and sounds which showed that she was just as resolved as ever not to let him come near her he was so overwhelmed that mr gale was obliged to help him out of the room no other person was allowed to see the patient mr dexter and mrs bowley made their inquiries outside the door and were not invited in as the evening drew on the doctor sat on either side of the bed silently watching her silently waiting for her death toward eight o'clock she seemed to have lost the use of her hands and arms they lay helpless outside the bedclothes 
a little later she sank into a sort of dull sleep little by little the sound of her heavy breathing grew fainter at twenty minutes past nine dr jerome told me to bring the lamp to the bedside he looked at her and put his hand on her heart then he said to me you can go downstairs nurse it is all over he turned to mr gale will you inquire if mr macallan can see us he said i opened the door for mr gale and followed him out dr jerome called me back for a moment and told me to give him the key of the door i did so of course but i thought it all so very strange when i got down to the servants hall i found there was a general feeling that something was wrong we were all uneasy without knowing why a little later the two doctors left the house mr macallan had been quite incapable of receiving them and hearing what they had to say in this difficulty they had spoken privately with mr dexter as mr macallan's old friend and the only gentleman then staying at gleninch before bedtime i went upstairs to prepare the remains of the deceased lady for the coffin the room in which she lay was locked the door leading into mr macallan's room being secured as well as the door leading into the corridor the keys had been taken away by mr gale two of the men-servants were posted outside the bedroom to keep watch they were to be relieved at four in the morning that was all they could tell me in the absence of any explanations or directions i took the liberty of knocking at the door of mr dexter's room from his lips i first heard the startling news both the doctors had refused to give the usual certificate of death there was to be a medical examination of the body in the morning there the examination of the nurse christina ormsay came to an end ignorant as i was of the law i could see what impression the evidence so far was intended to produce on the minds of the jury after first showing that my husband had had two opportunities of administering the poison once in the medicine and once in the tea the counsel for the crown led the jury to infer that the prisoner had taken those opportunities to rid himself of an ugly and jealous wife whose detestable temper he could no longer endure having directed his examination to the attainment of this object the lord advocate had done with the witness the dean of faculty acting in the prisoner's interest then rose to bring out the favourable side of the wife's character by cross-examining the nurse if he succeeded in this attempt the jury might reconsider their conclusion that the wife was a person who had exasperated her husband beyond endurance in that case where so far was the husband's motive for poisoning her and where was the presumption of the prisoner's guilt pressed by the skilful lawyer the nurse was obliged to exhibit my husband's first wife under an entirely new aspect here is the substance of what the dean of faculty extracted from christina ormsay i persist in declaring that mrs macallan had a most violent temper but she was certainly in the habit of making amends for the offence that she gave by her violence when she was quiet again she always made her excuses to me and she made them with a good grace her manners were engaging at such times as these she spoke and acted like a well-bred lady then again as to her personal appearance plain as she was in face she had a good figure her hands and feet i was told had been modelled by a sculptor she had a very pleasant voice and she was reported when in health to sing beautifully she was also if her maid's account was to be trusted a pattern in the matter of dressing for the other ladies in the neighbourhood then as to mrs bowley though she was certainly jealous of the beautiful young widow she had shown at the same time that she was capable of controlling that feeling it was through mrs macallan that mrs bowley was in the house mrs bowley had wished to postpone her visit on account of the state of mrs macallan's health 
it was mrs macallan herself not her husband who decided that mrs bowley should not be disappointed and should pay her visit to gleninch then and there further mrs macallan in spite of her temper was popular with her friends and popular with her servants there was hardly a dry eye in the house when it was known she was dying and further still in those little domestic disagreements at which the nurse had been present mr macallan had never lost his temper and had never used harsh language he seemed to be more sorry than angry when the quarrels took place morale for the jury was this the sort of woman who would exasperate a man into poisoning her and was this the sort of man who would be capable of poisoning his wife having produced this salutary counter-impression the dean of faculty sat down and the medical witnesses were called next here the evidence was simply irresistible dr jerome and mr gale positively swore that the symptoms of the illness were the symptoms of poisoning by arsenic the surgeon who had performed the post-mortem examination followed he positively swore that the appearance of the internal organs proved dr jerome and mr gale to be right in declaring that their patient had died poisoned lastly to complete this overwhelming testimony two analytical chemists actually produced in court the arsenic which they had found in the body in a quantity admittedly sufficient to have killed two persons instead of one in the face of such evidence as this cross-examination was a mere form the first question raised by the trial did the woman die poisoned was answered in the affirmative and answered beyond the possibility of doubt the next witnesses called were witnesses concerned with the question that now followed the obscure and terrible question who poisoned her End of chapter sixteen